This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Path, the coach-guided membership designed to help you make alcohol small and relevant in your life by removing your true desire to grab that next drink. Our science-based, compassion-led program allows you not only to shift your behavior and your relationship around alcohol, but more importantly, uncover and reprogram your subconscious conditioning and neural connections that have been keeping you stuck for years. With daily live breakthrough coaching, an intimate and supportive community, regular peer-to-peer connection calls, and a complete vault of resources, this is where your path to total freedom and effortless enjoyment of your new way of life begins. Join us at NakedMindPath.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. And I am here with a super cool episode because we have a couple. Welcome, Kim and Evan. How are you? Good. Thanks. Yeah, this is great. This is really cool. So you guys have a a pretty cool story um, from, you know, during the pandemic. But before we get into that, why don't you guys take us kind of back to the beginning for each of you and whoever wants to go first and just tell tell me a little bit about where, um, where it all started. Like what was the first sort of drinks that you had? How did it come into your life? That sort of thing. Sure. Okay. (laughs) So I'll start. Um, I have a sort of typical story. I started drinking, you know, when I was 15 years old, I'm from Greenwich, Connecticut. Um, and yeah, just started drinking in high school and we met in college at Colby college in Maine and, you know, typical small liberal arts school, NESCAC school. Um, we just drank a lot in college and we got married when we were, I was 25, you were 27. So, um, you know, we kind of maintained that work hard, party hard mentality when we were, sorry, I'm going to speak for myself because I'll let him speak. (laughs) Um, I maintained the work hard, party hard mentality, um, after college, because that was sort of, that was sort of how I was. And I was a teacher before I had kids. And, um, so in our twenties, before we got married and before we had kids, you know, I'd go to work during the week and on the weekends, we would go out with friends. We lived in Boston and, um, go out and drink just as much as we would drink in college for me. That's, how it was for me. I'm going to back up a little bit and I'm going to let you go. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, when I started drinking, I, I probably had my first drink in maybe like middle school, early high school. I was the youngest of three boys. I had two older brothers. And so I got into everything probably earlier than was average for most, but I went away to boarding school for high school and it wasn't, um, it wasn't easy to access alcohol or drugs really there wasn't a ton of that so it was sort of like out of sight out of mind um you know maybe in the summertime um or on like random weekends where we were away from school a little bit but I never got into really heavy drinking culture um until college and you know as Kim said it was I mean work hard party hard was always the mentality you know 
through school, um, after school, adulthood, and you know, kids is really what forced us to, to take a look in the mirror and decide if we could really keep doing this um, or if we were going to be responsible citizens. I think that was it for you. For me. <laughs> for me. So, yeah. So I had access to alcohol when I was in high school, and you know, I would sneak around and go to parties and. I wasn't in boarding school and, you know, I would lie to my parents and get drunk on the weekends and whatever. So by the time I got to Colby and I got to college, I was well-versed in how to take shots and how to, you know, shotgun a beer and all that. And I was 17 when I started college. So I was young. And so I do attribute, you know, yeah, I, when I look back on that, it's very concerning for me, the fact that I was drinking so much at such a young age. Um, and it's upsetting to me that I did that. And, you know, they say that that is um, possibly, you know, contributes to um, problems with alcohol. And so you did not drink like that when you were in high school. Um, sure. And I was blocking out from the beginning. I blocked out every time I drank in college. I think every single Saturday night in college, I blacked out. Um, Kim, can I ask you, um, yep. did you immediately know it was a blackout or what was your kind of knowledge around how that whole dynamic works? Um, it's actually funny, Annie, that you asked that. I just, so I do a lot of writing actually, and I just reflected on that and wrote something about that first time I got drunk, really drunk. It was the first time I blacked out and I didn't even realize that it was a big deal that I blacked out. Mm -hmm. I, I knew that I was missing chunks of the evening. I was 15 years old. Um, I knew that I didn't remember half the night. Um, I woke up the next morning with um, a broken blood vessel in my eye and my the entire white part of my eye was red, blood red. Um, and we laughed about the fact that I didn't remember the night. I mean, and one of the things that might not be obvious to you or anybody listens to this is like, that was pretty normal. Like, yeah, you, for you sure. Cool. You wake up the next day and everybody go to the dining hall and have breakfast and you know, I played hockey, we'd sit in the locker room on the weekends and you would laugh and tell stories and people thought it was hilarious that most of your friends didn't remember large sections of the night. So there wasn't anything at the time that made you feel like, oh, this is really bad. I can't believe this happened. Yeah, so I'm talking about first time I that happened to me, I was 15, I was in high school, but yeah, you're talking about college. It happened all the time in college, every Saturday night. And it wasn't just me. And I think exactly to what Evan was saying, it wasn't concerning because we were all doing it and we would reminisce in the dining hall over breakfast. Yeah. Anybody know how we got home last night? Anybody, where do we end up? I don't remember where our last party was. You know, I, nobody remembered anything. And one thing that we used to do, cause we went to college in early 2000s, graduated in 2004. Um, we used to get those little disposable cameras and we used to bring those out with us and develop them on Sundays so we could remember where we were and what we did you know it was kind of like nobody really had cell phones up in rural Maine thank goodness uh, yeah <laughs> For, didn't exist yet. yeah <laughs> yep 
So yeah, to answer your long, very long-winded answer to your question, no, I never really was concerned with the fact yeah. that I was working out. Yeah. Um, so I was like really jumping ahead with my answer earlier. Um, yeah, we got married when I was 25 and I was continuing to drink pretty heavily on the weekends, blacking out still. Um, Evan went to law school and started working as a corporate lawyer. So he was working a lot in long hours. And so you weren't partying like you used to in college anymore, really. Um, maybe occasionally when we would get together for weddings, you know, cause everybody was getting married and, um, we never actually, really drank when it was before we had kids, we never drank during the week. It was only, no. like, it was a weekend thing. It was a week. It was on a Saturday night. It was like Saturday nights. We'd go mm-hmm. out in Boston with friends and it was always like getting together with college friends or if it was a bachelor party or bachelorette party or something, it was always getting together with college friends. Um, so then we got married and we had kids shortly after and things really shifted for me. I found myself, um, you know, at, so we have three kids now and we had three kids all under the age of four. So I was at home with three little two or two boys are 17 months, 17 and a half months apart. So I was basically at home with two babies at one point. Um, and I truly found comfort in alcohol during that time when I had my young children, Evan was working very long hours and we moved to the suburbs and I didn't even realize what I was doing, but similar kind of thing. Like we did at Colby, like I was doing what all my mom friends were doing. Mm-hmm. You know, we were getting together for play dates and everybody would bring a bottle of wine and I didn't think anything of it. Um, no, if anything, we were attracted to that crowd because that fit in right with our same mindset, you know? Yeah. I can relate so much. That was me too. It was like, Oh, great. So we can, we can do this and be parents. (laughs) We've discovered something amazing. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, I remember I had my first, um, child in the city in Boston and we put all the baby. So I found like a mommy group, um, in the city when I was pregnant and then we all had our babies and we all got together for play dates and we put our babies in the carriers and we met at a bar and we all had drinks in the bar. And I was like, this is the coolest, you know, I can like go to the bar and walk around with my baby. And I remember some people would, we would go for evening walks and people would bring wine in their, um, you know, coffee cups. And, and I just remember thinking every, like, everybody's just like me. Like, we're all just like, we're all just trying to survive. And I was always like, oh, there's always somebody drinking more than me. So I'm fine. And even then I was never worried. There was never a concern about the amount I was drinking because I was never drinking that much. I would have a drink, a glass or two, and then I would go a couple of days and not drink. And it wasn't until, um, you know, my kids were a bit older. They're now, um, our kids right now are seven, nine and 11. So we moved out to the suburbs. We live about a half an hour outside of Boston. And it was when they were 
when Parker was born, probably when we moved to Needham, we live in Needham right now. Um, and she, Parker's the seven-year-old. So when she was a baby, about seven years ago, we started to, um, we moved to a new town and I feel like we started to hang out with different people that really drank a lot more. And mm -hmm. it was, you know, afternoon barbecues on Sundays where, um, everybody was drinking and it's a town where um it's a rarity for somebody to only have one child everybody seems to have at least two i'd say most of our friends have three kids some even more and so you know you bounce around from the soccer fields to the baseball fields to somebody's backyard for a barbecue and you know somebody's got something in there you know yeti yeah time. yeah i was at a um one of my son's baseball tournaments over the weekend and same deal like go and you know open the big cooler and there's like three or four like things of white wine that all the moms are just you know pouring in their mugs yeah. it's just like real typical we yeah. have to watch six hours of baseball <laughs> exactly that's how that's exactly how it was on friday nights baseball games soccer practices everybody brought everybody brought a cooler and it was normal it felt normal um you know the difference was that evan never you started to not so you never really participated to the level i did i um he was always the designated driver um the responsible parent he i never had an off switch. Um, this was true in college and it was true until the day I stopped drinking. Um, I stopped drinking during the pandemic, um, November 28th, 2020. Um, I was never able to just have one drink. And I think that was why it was so difficult for Evan to understand what was going on with me for so long was because he used to say to me, um, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself again. <laughs> no, that's all right. I, I really relate to this part too. I think, I think your dynamic, I'd love to hear more about it, but it sounds very similar to Brian, my husband and my dynamic, which was basically like, you know, just little gentle nudges of like, Hey, should we take the night off or Hey, how about we just... And I think that, so, um, I had Evan read your book when we were on vacation and I read your book at the beginning when I first got sober and I was like, you really need to read this book. You really need to read this book. And, um, he was like, he's not a big reader. He's a lawyer. So he's not a big reader. I read all day long. I still read. Right. Like what a, so many words. Right. Yeah. Um, so he's like, uh, he, but he's the most supportive husband in the entire world. So he was like, maybe like at some point I'll read this. We finally went on vacation and he, and he read your book. Um, so he, he really, I think that we both connected with so much of what, yeah, you wrote about. And he, he has his own thoughts on, on everything. I'll let him share that. But, um, you know, so when back to, you know, when we moved to Needham and going to all these barbecues and, you know, going to the soccer games and going to, um, these Friday night get-togethers and things like that. Um, yeah, it was like these like little gentle nudges from him where he would he would say, 
okay, maybe we, maybe we don't need to stay for dinner. Maybe we could just go have one drink and come home and let's just like have a family movie night or let's not stay that long. And I would be like, no, we're going to stay. Let's stay. Come on. Everyone's going to be there. And he, you could tell he would get frustrated. Um, and then maybe I would get a little too out of control or maybe I would do something stupid. Um, or maybe, you know, there were, there were things, there were events that happened over the years and some of them were bigger than others. Um, and he would have to sit me down and it would be sort of be like the next morning. Um, it, you know, it was like, do you remember what happened last night? And it was that phrase that literally slowly over time was like cracking me open. Mm -hmm. Um, these conversations were slowly not breaking me down, but like literally opening me up. It was like, mm -hmm. he was slowly getting through to me and he never gave me an ultimatum. He never yelled at me. He never was harsh with me. Um, but he was so kind and understanding that there was something going on with me. Um, yeah, at the same time I was, when he would have those conversations with me and sit me down, I would be so mad at him because I'd be like, you were, you poured me a glass of wine. You were going drink for drink with me up until all of a sudden I got out of control. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking you enabled me. You're allowing me to go to these parties. You're, you know, and I would get so frustrated that he's the one telling me I have the problem, but he's still a like we're still doing this or he's still drinking or we're, you know, he's still encouraging me to order a glass of wine at dinner. It just felt like there were so many mixed, mixed messages along the way. And I just couldn't, I was so frustrated for so long, but he was frustrated with me that I couldn't have just one glass of wine. And he was like, why can't we just go out and have one drink? Yeah. I, of all the times I talked to her, I never, it never crossed my mind to just stop drinking entirely. Mm -hmm. And it's like sobriety was an unknown concept to me. We didn't have friends that didn't drink. And so yeah, there was never a thought of like, you know, you have a problem, you need to go to AA and stop drinking. It was just, hey, let's, let's not get so out of control so that we don't remember what happened or that, you know, this embarrassing event happens or whatever it is. It was just sort of like, let's keep it in the fairway. Yeah, that, that was always... That was our phrase, like, and I'd look at him and I'd be like, all right, I'm gonna keep it in the fairway tonight. I'm gonna be a good girl. And I never was. I could never keep it in the fairway because I couldn't control myself. It was always hard for me to understand because um, like, you know, I could have five or six beers like in a short period of time without really thinking about it. But then I would eat food. And once I eat food, I sort of stopped drinking naturally. And I mean, I, I obviously weigh more than she does. Um, and so five or six beers plus a meal doesn't really do anything for me. And then I stopped drinking almost entirely once I eat. And so like, I couldn't even drink another five beers if I wanted to after eating a full meal. And so I just, I could never relate to the not having an off switch because it wasn't something I experienced. It took me a long time to realize how drunk she actually was uh, at various points. Yeah, I think... It, yeah, certainly I kept going. I had no problem, problem having another five or six beers. I, um, a lot of times 
had drinks and you didn't like beforehand and you had no idea. I was pre-gaming without you knowing. I was sneaking and lying um, so much by the end. And it was just creating, yeah, it was just so unhealthy for us. Um, and he had no idea and I knew, and it was just, um, it was awful by the end. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I'm trying to, th trying to think, I feel like I was going to say something, but, um, oh, like, like towards the end, it was like, I want, it was two, probably like a year before I even stopped. And I remember you saying like something like the kids and I, like, we really need you. Um, and that was really eye-opening for me, but it was still another year or two of, before I actually stopped. So, um, yeah, we, I mean, Kim and I have talked a lot about this and she's written about it. I mean, I think for me, one of the biggest drivers for change for, you know, when I, I would say things at times, mostly because like something embarrassing happened, or I know that, you know, it led to this, which you wouldn't have wanted. But when it really got to a point where, you know, she was slurring words or falling down, and our kids were old enough to see it and say, you know, what's wrong with mommy? That's when I like, in my mind, we sort of tried to draw a line and say, something's got to change, we can't keep going down the same path. That's why I said earlier, you know, it's really, you know, having kids and once they get to a certain age that in my mind, um, help force change. Mm -hmm. So Kim, was there like, how did that change come about? You know, you're talking like cumulatively being kind of broke open by these questions about what did you remember? Yeah, um, it was definitely over time, lots of um, certainly conversations with Evan and, you know, trying to rein it in after those conversations and promising myself and him that I would be better. And it was years of this um, sort of like trying to moderate and promising myself, okay, I'm going to from now on, I'm never going to get drunk again. <laughs> I remember saying that to myself. I'm going to just be the kind of girl that goes out and has two glasses of wine for the rest of my life. <laughs> I remember that after like a really bad night. And I, I remember having this conversation in my head and then being like, you know, the other little devil on my shoulder being like, there's no way you're going to do that. Um, and, you know, I just, I was just having these awful, um, mental aerobics of just wanting so badly to drink and trying so hard to not. And, you know, it's, it's, it was just exhausting. Um, and I would be good for a little while. Um, and then all of a sudden we would have an event one Saturday night and I would just slip right back into my old ways. Um, and you know, he, sometimes he would say something, sometimes he'd let it go um, because I didn't do anything that bad. And it was always, you know, it was just this awful cycle. It just it couldn't get, couldn't get past it. And during the pandemic, um, since we were home with the kids, I started drinking a lot more and I felt like um, I, I, people were giving me 
I, I don't know. I was like justifying all of my drinking because everybody else was like on zoom with me drinking. And it was just like, everyone was like, how are you going to survive this without alcohol? Like, and I just felt like everyone was doing it. So it was like even more so than ever. And I felt like maybe you were drinking a tiny bit more when you were home. And maybe you, maybe he was like judging me a little bit less. Cause he was like, yeah, this situation sucks it's fine. Have that glass of wine. And maybe so there's like a, maybe a tiny bit less judgment behind his like gaze, you know? And so I was just drinking that much more, but then I started sneaking it and I would check the find. So he was still going to work. Cause he was one of the few people that had to go into the office. Um, so he, he would be driving home and I would check the find, find my iPhone app. I'd stalk him to see where he was on the highway before he got home. And I'd be like, drink, I'd have another quick drink before he got in the door. He doesn't even know. I mean, he knows this now. I learned that afterwards. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know at the time. Yeah. So you couldn't tell? No. Well, she would, I think she would avoid me. I would, yeah. Anyway, I would. It would be, you know, I'd be gone all day. So when I came home, it was like, all right, I'm the primary parent. I'm going to help. A lot of times right. it was when the kids get to bed. I mean, they've all eaten dinner by the time I got home. So it was like, yeah. daddy's home. Let's read. Let's play. Let's, you know, take baths, get to bed. So there was very little. They were, you know, young enough at the point that it's not like they were self-sufficient. Then her and I would, you know, talk and hang out and catch up. We would. But sometimes you and I would talk and I would completely forget even hanging out with you. And he didn't even know. That. And then he'd be like, remember we talked about this last night? And we'd be like, oh yeah. He had no idea. It was, it was that it was bad. And so, um, it was a Thanksgiving day weekend. Um, it was a Saturday morning of Thanksgiving weekend and nothing happened. There was no rock bottom. Um, I just, I had always had these, like, you know, the 3am wake up where I'm having this, like coming out of my blackout, I wake up hungover and that was always that awful self-loathing sort of like moment of depression laying in bed hating myself um which you've never experienced <laughs> which I've tried to explain to him and I, I remember looking over at him and he's sleeping soundly and I just like laid there and started crying and I'm just like what the hell am I doing and I had been like sneaking vodka all day the day before and he didn't eat, he had no idea. And I'm just like, how is this my life? What the hell am I doing? And I can't live like this anymore. And I knew that I was just like circling the drain and I knew that I was gonna kill myself like, like with alcohol, like alcohol mm -hmm. was gonna eventually kill me. Like this was going to be the end of me. And I, um, I had to stop and I, and I grabbed, I woke him up. It was like maybe four o'clock in the morning and I woke him up and I said to him, um, what would you say if I, at, if I told you I need to stop drinking mm. and I said, would you help me? And <laughs> he's crying. <laughs> And, um, and he said, yeah, I'll do whatever you need me to do. And so, yeah, yeah that was it. And I have not drank since. So, oh, that's just awesome. Yeah. Wow. 
he, he stopped drinking with me for like six months. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. It wasn't a rock bottom. It wasn't, it was just like, it was a, um, it was like a light bulb. It was just <laughs> of clarity. And I felt like I was the, after the fact, I felt like a huge weight was lifted and a lot of ways I describe it was that I was just feeling like I was at the bottom of this dark pit. And I was like trying to get out of this hole. And I felt like I was just like, couldn't get out, like climbing up the sides, kept slipping down, kept falling. And then finally, like, I feel like I yelled to Evan, I reached up for him and he grabbed me and he pulled me out. Like, that's how honestly the best way I can describe how that felt. Like, I just felt like I was like almost drowning. Like, I just like felt like I couldn't get out and everything feels so much lighter, brighter, happier. And it's like a totally, I mean, I can't even explain the feeling of freedom that I feel not drinking. So that's just awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I can relate for sure. For me, it felt like just like almost like keep falling asleep. Like I, I couldn't wake up. That was sort of the pit analogy for me. Like I was, you know, I just kept like losing consciousness or losing memories or just like falling asleep. And like, when I was awake for a minute, I'd be like, Hey, stay here. And then I couldn't do it. And yeah, totally. I totally relate to that as well. And I felt like, um, in those moments of clarity, when I was awake, um, like maybe I was finally like feeling and kind of, or maybe I was like, but then I was like, I really want to feel differently. And I don't know how to ha have all those feel. I want to feel really intense feelings again, which was like, I wanted that dopamine rush, that hit of, you know, from drinking. And it was like, I didn't know how to actually authentically feel joyful. I didn't know how to laugh. I didn't know how to feel anything anymore without mm -hmm. alcohol. So I was like, you know, in those moments of like feeling like when I was like sober or not drinking, um, it was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And so I'd be like, I need to go drink. I need to go drink because I, I didn't know how to feel. And so I wanted alcohol to show me how to, to function. It, that's how it was by the end. I just like, I couldn't feel anything. And, um, I, I remember going, I remember going on vacation with a, a girlfriend, like Catherine and I were like three months sober and, um, she, my friend Catherine got sober right after I did. And I remember we were together on this trip girls weekend. And I remember having, we just started laughing hysterically. And it was one of those like full body belly laughs. And I remember thinking, I haven't laughed like this in years. Mm -hmm. And it was just such an, a joyful, authentic, real laugh. And it just felt so good to finally have that without alcohol. And, and like, that's the stuff like that, that, that was good. Like, I remember that that was the first time I really felt like real joy after. Yeah. That's awesome. And that, I think it takes a while, but those moments yeah. come more and more frequently and, you know, become something that's just really regular. And, yeah. you know, then if I'm, you know, out with friends or something and, 
we're out and about, especially if it's people who don't drink, we're often like the table that is laughing the hardest and being threatened to be kicked out, even though <laughs> drinking Coke, because there's, you know, there's just like, it is, it's, it's like you revert to like your eight-year-old self and what you think is funny. And it's, yeah, it's really awesome. And it just takes time, but it's, it's so on the other side of, of all of it. Yeah. That's totally. awesome. I think that, um, just to put some words around what you were describing in terms of both feeling the craving and then feeling on the other side of it. I remember that very vividly as well. And I would, I would record myself videos and stuff to try to remind myself because on one, both sides, like you were screwed on both sides. And it was funny because that didn't used to be the case. It, it used to be that alcohol did seem to make things better in kind of the short term. But then eventually that illusion was more or less gone. But the, the intensity of the craving that you had for the habit that you've been doing all the time, right? Was, it, it was like, no, there can't be anything worse than this restlessness. And that's, I mean, it was like restlessness to the extreme. It's almost like itchiness. You can't think, you wouldn't imagine that itchiness could drive somebody to insanity or drive somebody totally crazy because there's not actually pain in itchiness, but it can like, because it's so uh, persistent and it's, it's so intense. And I, I think that's what cravings are like. And, and you judge yourself for it because you think, well, I'm not actually in pain here. I should be able to handle this. But if you think about it, like itchiness over time, I don't know if you've ever had hives or something, but I've had a few bouts of hives and it is in some ways almost worse than pain because it just is so, so incessant. And then you drink and it would relieve the itchiness, but then it would put you right back into that bottom of the pit or the, the totally feeling asleep or the completely out of touch with your own life. I, I remember it almost feeling like there was a, a barrier when I was conscious enough to remember, but like, there was like a barrier between me and everybody else. It was like, I had, I had gotten in this isolation chamber from my family and from the people that cared about me. Like I was like, and so I'd be in this chamber and be like, okay, no, this is worse. Like, I promise this is worse. The itchiness is better. Like I promise this is worse. And I'd make myself these videos or I'd write myself these notes, trying to convince myself that no, no, this way is worse. And then you'd, you'd sober up and the trigger would happen, whether it's five o'clock or, you know, 11 AM or 9 AM mimosas, whatever it was. And then that, that sort of cycle would just repeat. And it is, it's terrible. I mean, it's just absolutely terrible. And I think that um, one of the things that we really get wrong as a society is that we think the way out of that cycle is just to stay in the itchiness, like just to stay in the craving. And I think the, the real way out of it is to educate yourself enough to where that actually fades a bit, to where your mind can override that physical sort of desire or the even mental desire. And you can understand like, because our brains are so smart. And when we, can, when we can know something new, we can end up feeling something new and we can overcome that feeling. So we can stay on that side, um, which is just... Yeah, I, I can really relate to all of that. Yeah, I, um, you were saying something about, um, like the way I felt was, um, 
like not feeling connected. Um, to, like when you were saying like inside, like the, the chain, like the chamber, what'd you say? <laughs> like a uh, isolation chamber. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're just, you've just distanced yourself from everyone yeah. and everything. Yeah. And I felt that way by the end, like I wasn't connecting to anybody, to my husband, to my kids. Um, and that was one of the, the biggest changes that I felt within the first week of not drinking, um, was that I finally, you know, it's that feeling of being present for your kids and, um, and taking away that barrier and not numbing out and not checking out and being there, finally feeling that connection with my children that I had been avoiding for so long. And yeah, there were moments and so obviously every day that, you know, there are moments with your children that are difficult, but I was disconnected from all the good moments and obviously the bad moments. Um, but so much of the good stuff I had missed and mm -hmm. had just pulled away from. And that's what was so heartbreaking and what was so wonderful to get back. Um, and, you know, I, I, I had been disconnected at bedtime. And, you know, like you were saying, like you were doing all the bedtime stuff, but I literally was drinking during those times. And so, um, you know, I remember my daughter came and got me in the middle of the night. She had a nightmare and I was a couple of weeks sober and she, and I went and crawled into bed with her and stroking her hair. And I realized it was like the first time I was like sober in the middle of the night and, and mm. kind of like conscious to be putting her back to bed. And then and, um, it was like a really, it was a wonderful moment to be able to do that and not like be drunk or whatever. Um, remember it. and remember it. And my son actually recently said to me when they were, he was sick, he was like, am I allowed to come get you? And I'm like, what do you mean? Um, he was sick a couple weeks ago and he's like, am I allowed to come get you in the night if I don't feel good? And I'm like, yes, of course. He's like, because you used to get you used to not wake up and you used to be grumpy mm. in the night. You didn't tell me so. Right? Yeah, it was like heartbreaking. I'm like, you can always come and get me no matter what. And yeah, and it's just like, so we're really open. I'm really open about my sobriety with my kids. Um, I have a tattoo on my wrist that says free. Oh, beautiful. And so when I went and got this, I got it for my six month anniversary. So um, and when I went and got this, you know, I came back, went and got it in Boston and came back and the kids were like, mom, let's see your tat. <laughs> <laughs> and so they wanted to know what it was, um, you know, the meaning of it. Um, and I said, I, I wasn't really sure because they knew I stopped drinking or actually my oldest knew our 11 year old knew. And I was like, um, you know, it's just a good way. It's a good word to live by. And, um, and then I told Brayden, Brayden's our 11 year old. I said, well, actually Brayden, you know how I stopped drinking. Um, you know, I felt really stuck because of alcohol for a really long time. And, you know, now I feel like I'm free because I was using alcohol to make me happy when I was feeling sad or, you know, when I was feeling, um, angry or try to use it to make me feel better. And it just wasn't a good, you know, that, that's kind of how I explained what, how alcohol was 
the role it played in my life and how I, why I stopped because it just wasn't making, you know, it's sort of like how I dumbed it down for him. Um, and he was like, okay. And you know, that's why I got the tattoo, whatever. Um, and then he's like, I think you should tell Chase and Parker, the, his younger brother and sister, um, because our phrase in our family is like no secrets. So <laughs> we had like a big family discussion and I showed it to them and, and my seven-year-old was like, wait, you don't drink anymore? Oh, okay. You know, like she had, it had been six months and she was like, oh yeah, I guess you don't have wine at dinner anymore. You know, she didn't, totally didn't really know, notice. Um, meanwhile, the 11-year-old was fully aware. So, um, you know, we have, we're very open. I look, you know, like no secrets is our motto. So um, I think it's important to talk to my kids about that kind of stuff. and and you know, going back to that feeling of like connection and, and having that open communication with them. Mm. Yeah. One of the things, um, Kim said earlier that I read your book, one of the things that, you know, it really connected with me is that, you know, so many, if I think back of like times where, you know, you get drunk or drink, I mean, so much of it is just like a release to basically escape the reality that you're in, right? Like it's been a tough week. I just got to, decompress or I'm really stressed out. I just don't want to think about this. Um, and it's just such a, it just numbs your feelings to what's in front of you. And it, the reason that it really resonated with me is because I can tend to procrastinate. And so it's just a way of procrastinating and dealing with your feelings. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I think you've just really embraced, you know, feeling all those feelings, yeah. right. And not trying to escape them or avoid them or put them off and, you know, just living life authentically yeah feeling it all mm -hmm. <laughs> put it all out there <laughs> it's like a it's like a superpower my son has he, he's in baseball as we were talking about earlier and he um he was so afraid of he got hit with a ball last season and so the first few games he just was like crippling anxiety and you know he just followed that thread through like okay well what would what would happen if you got hit with the ball? He's like, well, it might sting, but it actually wouldn't be that bad. And he's like, I was like, okay, well, what would happen if you struck out because you were afraid? And he's like, I'd, I'd walk back to the dugout and I'd be really embarrassed. And, you know, maybe everybody would make fun of me. And like, we kept pulling on the thread and pulling on the thread. Well, then what would happen? Well, then what would happen? Well, then what would happen? And at the very base of it, it was just a feeling. And, and I was like, so you're letting a feeling keep you from this thing you you love to do a fear of a feeling and I told him I was like you know the most like successful people in anything sports anything are the people who have realized that they won't let fear of a feeling keep them from what they really want in their lives because the only thing that ever stops us is fear of a feeling we're afraid of feeling failure. We're afraid of feeling embarrassment. We're afraid of feeling humiliation. And so there's so many things that we say no to before we even give ourselves a chance because of that fear of a feeling. And so what you just named that Kim is doing now, I feel like is like one of the, you know, if there was actually a superpower, <laughs> I feel like that would be it, right? The, the ability to feel your feelings and not be afraid of feeling a feeling. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how much, if you know any of this about Kim, but she's actually taken it to a whole new level of writing and she started her own podcast with a friend and mm -hmm. has just really been putting herself out there and 
wearing her heart on the sleeve and risking humiliation and embarrassment and telling some of the stories that and we didn't get into all the details but you know there are a lot of things along the way that led up to the ultimate decision and there's no like crazy rock bottom but there are definitely some stories that you know um are hard to relive and think about and um yeah. that's so awesome there's so much freedom in that in in the telling because that's like the thing that keeps this going more than anything is that we're all living side by side suffering yeah. and unwilling to go first and and say hey this was hard for me or i screwed up here um so let's i have i have three more questions first of all kim can you share with us uh your podcast and anywhere else people can find or follow you yeah um, so I have a blog, um, it's KimberlyKearns.com and, uh, the weekend sober podcast awesome. is our podcast, um, with my friend, Catherine, um, and I'm actually going to self-publish my memoir, um, this summer. So, um, stay tuned. I don't really know when that's coming out, but I'm, I'm so working exciting. on it. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. We'll put all that in the show notes too. Yeah. So then let me finish off and I'm going to ask this, I'm going to ask Evan first, and then we'll circle back to you, Kim, but Evan, if you could go back in, in time and, um, you know, talk to the man who was really completely baffled by Kim's behavior and just really felt like, what's, what's the big deal? Why can't we just have a glass of wine and also frustrated and, you know, trying to keep it together when you saw for instance, your kids starting to wonder what was wrong with mom. Uh, what would you tell him about how life is on the other side of that journey? Wow, I wish that I would have told him a lot earlier that sobriety was one of the options because I didn't even know that that was a card that could be played. Um, as I said, we didn't have any friends that didn't drink. And so that, you know, all the times I talked to Kim, it never crossed my mind of, stop drinking entirely. It was just sort of rein it in and get it under control when in reality, it wasn't something she could control. So I, I wish that I had known earlier that, um, that this was a path forward, but she chose this path while, you know, our kids are still young and at an age where I think, you know, this is the life that they'll remember. So, um, you know, I don't feel like I wish this would have happened, you know, 10 years ago. I feel like it's, it's the appropriate time for the right reasons. And we have a lot of life left to live. Mm, that's so awesome. That's so great. So Kim, if you were going to go back in time to um, early pa pandemic and, uh, you know, sneaking vodka and avoiding Evan when he came home because you didn't want him to know you were drinking um, and kind of missing out on those bedtimes and you were going to tell her about like encourage her in some way or tell her what life is like now, what would you say? Um. I would tell that person, I would say that there's so much freedom on the other side. Um, and there's to dig deep, find the strength, find the confidence to, to do it because Kim, you know, you've been thinking about it and laying awake at 3am the connections, honestly, they grow so much deeper in sobriety. Um, and that's truly what, that's truly what I found is that, um, connections with my husband, connections with my children, um, 
friendships friendships yeah the people that truly care and matter um they're there they stick around and um yeah there's so much freedom on the other side that's truly what i say and 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 that's often how i end a lot of my writing and i feel like there's it's how it could be so cliche but it's so true and i picture it's tattooed on your body. i mean yeah free <laughs> um but no it's, it's i do picture myself being like at the bottom of this cliff like feeling like i'm finally i'm not i'm never going to go back down there and mm. if only if only she could have known how much better it is brighter i say that there's it's so much brighter in this life i feel like everything was dulled and muted colors mm. like gray and i feel like everything is just like a different shade of like color colorful life it's just so, I, mean, I can't explain it. I really feel like it is. It's, it's so, I, I have the exact same experience and it's so true because, and it's so dang ironic because that's what we were trying to drink to achieve in the first place, right? So it's like, what? I know Annie understands what I'm talking about. You're like, you have, you no, have... I mean, I, I get it and I relate because I have all your writing that I read. Yeah. Right. I mean, I've, I've learned so much more about her. Just she's very articulate with the written word. <laughs> Not so much with the <laughs> No, but word. I've learned so much because of her blog, um, which wasn't always public, right? I mean, it was yeah. just me really reading it for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, you've that's expressed really yourself cool. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's just amazing, Kim. I love that. Well, this has been really fun. Thank you guys both for coming and sharing kind of two sides of the same journey. It's, it's just been really awesome. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>We are so excited to announce our newly recalibrated signature program, the Path Freedom Accelerated. This 90-day program is designed to make freedom from alcohol quicker, more accessible, and more affordable than ever before. Imagine if just 90 days from now you discover a new freedom without feeling like you're hanging on to willpower by your fingernails, without feeling deprived or like you're missing out, and without the shame, guilt, and blame. The Path Freedom Accelerated provides a guided, almost hypnotic sequence of content that's speaks not only to your conscious mind, but also to your subconscious, actually changing your desire for a drink. Plus, you will receive daily accountability and support from our coaches and our community. If you feel like you have lost control of your drinking, there is a solution. One that's easier than you might think and doesn't involve rules, missing out, or deprivation. We would love for you to join us. Go to nakedmindpath.com to learn more. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.